Amen. Glad to have you here. Uh, I'm excited to have so many of you. Yeah, on Labor Day weekend, you're generally like uh, talking to the one person and then the other. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of you here. It's nice and full. My name's Ben, one of the pastors here. Very glad you're with us. We're going to be in the book of Acts today. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, you can open it up to Acts chapter 20. Um, feel free to turn or tap your way there. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen and or we would love to give you a copy of the scriptures. It's just modern English translation um, called the ESV that we use here at Hope Church. But there's lots of great ones we'd love to give to you that today. Acts. Today is our last Sunday in the book of Acts, in this series on the book of Acts. And what we want to do is we try and wrap it up, is we want to continue what I think is a theme of the book of Acts. Easier maybe to see the themes as we've been moving in several chunks of chapters at a time, especially in the last several weeks, as we've taken each of Paul's missionary journeys and used those whole journeys as a Sunday. We've been asking the question as we move through, what was the church? What was it founded on? How did it begin so that we can understand how we are to be today? We're not trying to invent something new. We are trying to be a continuation of what God has been doing from creation. When you think about when Christ came, he didn't come to unmake, but to fulfill And not only fulfill, but fulfill perfectly to have this beautiful dovetail between what was going on and then Christ and then the church. And then you fast forward 2,000 years and you get to us. Now, what continues there? What about the power of the church that we want to be tapping into, doing the same kinds of things they were doing? We've looked at some of the problems they've had to overcome. They talked about the unity issues that they had, the missional issues that they had, the persecution issues that they had, how they could be compelling to the people who thought they believed this stuff already. As you would see Paul go from place to city to city to city as he would preach in the synagogues to those who thought they already understood these things, the Jewish people. Having to show them that religion is different than the gospel. That what they should be believing, what God has preached from the beginning, they've strayed from. And that Jesus is there to call us back to what's true. Then last week we talked, and maybe a little bit was more full, I I needed to edit more than I did, but we talked about how the gospel would interact with the Greek or the Roman understanding of who God is and who gods are and who we are. And they had this powerful, impactful, not just um, people would understand the gospel from a Greek or Roman perspective, but they were actually changed by it. Why? Why was the gospel so transformational? And we're understanding week on week how the gospel is transformational. And the scripture that we have understood and teach, what it has taught us about Christ and what he's done for us, if understood and lived out by us, will make us not only grow individually, that you'll learn to be more like Christ, that your kids will learn to be more like Christ, but also that you will be able to go and be impactful out in the community. Well, I've got one last uh, hurdle for us to go over. And it's a big one. And it's a little dark. And we're going to stay in the dark for a little bit. 
But I think if you read the whole of the book of Acts, especially chapters 20 through 28, there's a question that you have to answer about the church, which is, how does it overcome dying? And I don't just mean death in a capital sense, because you understand that the gospel impacts that question directly, and we'll talk about that. But Paul is a leader of churches. God has used him in almost unparalleled ways. And as you come to Acts chapter 20, he understands very clearly that his ministry is coming to an end. That in any city he goes, he's going to not only experience the kind of afflictions he has experienced, but there's something new in the wind. That chains are coming his way. And of course they do. After you get past the couple of chapters we're going to look at today, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, is arrested, and then his trial takes him in chains from Jerusalem to Rome. The churches that this guy helps to get going, he has last conversations with. That's what we're going to focus on today. This is the moment where Paul talked to the Ephesian elders for the last time. How? How? How does Paul begin to help them understand how they're going to push through transition of leadership, push through the fact that individuals fade? Push through the fact that individual church congregations fade. How do you connect the dot between the reality of dying and the promise of Christ that he will build his church and that the gates of hell won't prevail against it? What do I mean by dying? Well, of course, I mean that we will pass. There's a song I think about a lot with this from a band called The Flaming Lips. The very like, woo, kind of a fancy indie band. It's been around for like decades and decades if you look into it. But they have a song called Do You Realize? And it's this really like kind of upbeat, fun, very pretty song. It's got like a twangy sort of sound to it. It's a little whimsical. And then you listen to the lyrics and it says, Do you realize... That you have the most beautiful face. Oh, as a man, he's singing to somebody he loves, right? Do you realize that we're, we're floating in space? Now he's zooming out a little bit. He's getting a little bit meta. Do you realize that happiness makes you cry? He's taking a turn. And then he says, do you realize that everyone you know someday will die? But he says it in the same way. I mean, <laughs> we'll die. It's very like, ah. And he tries to put a good face on it. Instead of saying all your goodbyes, let them know you realize things are going fast. Try to make the good things last. I mean, he's putting a good little bow on it. But he's seeing what our secular culture is realizing. That not only do we die, but if we die without some real hope for the future, for a past death moment... A hopelessness seeps into all things. All of a sudden, you just turn the color down and turn the volume down in your life because what matters? Well, the gospel hasn't answered that, but there's a similar understanding that goes on in the church where these individuals pass away. Or the momentum of specific movements slows. 
Physics talks about the, the slowing of all things, the cooling of all things. And that's the natural tendency of all things. We have that Dylan Thomas poem that's very famous about do not go gentle into that good night, about raging against the dying of the light. If you're not a poetry buff, and I wouldn't claim to be, then like me, you probably know that poem best from the, the big speech in Independence Day where the president's talking on the tarmac to everybody before they go fight the aliens, and he says, we will not go into that good night. Everybody's... <laughs> Again, if you were like me, you're watching that like, Ta America. <laughs> but the point of the poem is true. With a bang or with a whimper, you will die. And the individual congregation likewise has a that may or even will spin out. One of our uh, mentors when we first started Hope Church said to us, everyone will leave your church. What? Here you are, an entrepreneur, right? You're fresh-faced. You're full of excitement. You have nothing but expectation and hope, certainly doubt, but hope that this new thing that you're helping to get going will not only go but continue. And he said, nope, everyone will leave your church. Remember this. Either they'll get huffy about one thing or another, you don't serve their needs like they want, and so they jump ship and go find somewhere else so they can be a baby. Or, <laughs> or, it's a good thing, and they've been growing in Christ, and God's doing a new thing in them, and they have a new sort of set of muscles that God's sending them to go flex somewhere else, and praise God, we're hoping that happens all the time. Or, of course, Dylan Thomas, right? Or they pass away. Everybody's going to leave your church, and... Another of our mentors, a guy named Vance Pittman, who leads a church called Hope Church in Vegas, and we're not related to them, but we want to be. We love them a lot. Their church, he, he says, every church has a life cycle, and historically, of course, that's true. We're going to talk about these Ephesian elders. Can you go and visit the church in Ephesus today? If you do, you can go and, and visit it archaeologically. It was a real, literal place. You can go and visit it and stand where they stood. We can have a map to it, but it's not a, a continuing entity. How do we connect the dot between that reality and Jesus' promise? Promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he will build. How do we reconcile that with the fact that as Paul continues in his ministry, he is going in prison to martyrdom? Well, I think the answer to those questions is in this Acts chapter 20. I think it's there as an illustration, analogically, as an analogy, whatever the right way to say that is, adjective is. It's there as an analogy and it's there in the teaching. First in the analogy, there's the story in the first part of Acts chapter 20 of this guy named Eutychus. The idea is that Paul is knowing that he's almost done, is going to some of these different places, and he's having his last moment with some of these churches. And you can imagine what that would be like. You hear about these tragic stories where parents who know they're going to die will write long letters to their children. How would you ever stop writing? Right? There's a moment where Paul knows as a parent of these churches, these people that he loves desperately, he will not see their face again. They will not see him again. 
And these fledgling churches, he's just talking to them, and he's telling them, and he's preaching to them everything he needs them to know. You've got to understand. You can't just miss this stuff. It's important. You've got to see it. And in one of these meetings where he's having one of these last conversations, he's preaching to a group of people, and the room is so full that you've got this one guy named Eutychus. He doesn't come up anywhere else in Scripture, but he's in this story. There's one guy named Eutychus who's sitting on the windowsill listening to Paul. And Paul just keeps going. Temptation of all pastors. Paul just keeps going. And eventually Eutychus is listening, but not really. And eventually he falls asleep. And he falls into such a deep sleep that he falls out the window down to his death on the ground outside. Now say what you will about my preaching. My mortality rate is still... (laughs) I've killed no one to date. But there's something in the analogy of that story because as the gospel, the gospel is being spoken by the Apostle Paul, the church falls asleep and then falls, goes away. There's something to that. There's something that's happening similar to that in many of the churches today where they're hearing the gospel. Maybe it's even being preached. And yet, they're, they're, they're buying into the lies of the world. They're, they're enjoying things they're not supposed to be looking after and enjoying that God says no to. They say yes to. And eventually, they start to fall asleep to the gospel. They still exist, but they're not doing much. Until eventually, they go away. And I don't, I don't want that. I can't live with that because Jesus has promised that the church, capital C, the church, will never go away. So what are we going to do? Well, let's look at what he says. Acts chapter 20, starting verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Paul calls the leaders of the church in Ephesus that he had helped to get going, had led with, stayed with for years at a time. Calls them to himself and says, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia... Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of our faith. Of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold. I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now... Behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's going to lead these guys saying, listen, I know this is the way of the world, that we are fighting the long defeat. Tolkien, if you ever read Tolkien, the idea is all throughout his writing that the things that used to be were greater than the things that are, and the things that are are greater than the things that will be. We're fighting a long defeat. We're delaying the inevitable by our action. 
Last week I made fun of Paul for being nerdy about like really getting excited about going to the Areopagus and speaking with the philosophers. But I mean, I like Tolkien. I'm right there with him. <laughs> you know? I'm just as nerdy. But the idea that things are slowing, that God has to do something new, but even those things that he does have a momentum that slows. And this Paul guy is preaching to that idea when he tells them what is core to him and how he continues to go even while knowing that nothing but imprisonment and affliction is ahead of him. I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Animated by the Lord Jesus and the gospel. Dead to his own priorities. He has a single-minded devotion to the gospel. Do we have even an ounce of that? We should. The church must continue. He gives a couple more things that I want us to pay attention to as we're going through this passage. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. There is, in this passage, an understanding of the way churches were put together back then and even today, certainly by us. The idea is that a church is made up of believers and a church gathering consists of believers and other people who are investigating, coming to check it out. And we need both groups. We pray for both groups to be part of what we're doing. And yet, that group of believers has to have a certain level of organization or leadership. And those leaders are called, in different parts of the New Testament, overseers or pastors or shepherds, elders. They're used in different terms to describe the same office. Not better or worse than everybody else in the church, but given certain responsibilities when it comes to leadership. Hope Church has three pastors. And we are given this same obligation to pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made us overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. So let's not quibble about how precious this thing is. And yet, do you understand why things like baptism and membership are so important? Baptism, where you say, I am no longer what I was, but I am now His. I'm taking a step of faith to receive the gospel. And so I'm going to count myself among the numbers of His flock, capital F. And then membership, where you say, and under that understanding, I'm going to submit myself in some degree to the local ministry of this flock, lowercase f. Hope Church, or one of the other churches in the valley. We have to know, as pastors, who it is exactly that we are supposed to be caring for in this way. We're going to care for everybody. But in this way, yeah, we need to know. It continues in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among our own selves will arise men speaking twisted things 
to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. It may be difficult to think that Hope Church is not just a thing that you maybe go to, maybe don't. Yes, we are hoping that you are slowly going to be growing towards that fully known, fully loved individual, understanding the gospel, treasuring it, and then giving, 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 not just money or time, but giving of yourself to this community. And as that happens, if that happens, with that transformational gospel power, there will be wolves who will come in among us. It says here, there are going to be people that will come from among us who will take the word that he's spoken. And it says it will twist, they'll speak twisted things. What's a twisted thing? A twisted thing is a thing that started not twisted. It starts normal and then at some point it starts to change. Do you understand that it says, and this is spooky because if it's true, there could be some of you in this room. who are going to try and draw people to yourself, whether you know that you're doing it or not, speak twisted things. Things that sound right. And if you're not careful, will pull you away. The church has to have leadership. The church has to have vigilance because it might just disintegrate, might fall apart. This is one of the reasons that this momentum in these different churches starts to fall. Because the people in the church had not become familiar enough with the gospel, the gospel that is true, that they love, that they were drawn away by twisted things. We must guard ourselves from that. As pastors, we are attempting to guard you from that as well as we can. Certainly with what I preach, but also with community groups. Community groups are a way for us to connect to you and know something about your life. That's how we can try to keep tabs, to, to watch out for the flock at some level. If you're part of a community group, you realize just how kind of gentle that is, but it's there in the hopes that you will come to know the gospel so thoroughly that you can spot a fake. You can spot the moment somebody starts to put works in there at some level. The moment somebody tries to appeal to your pride and scratch your itching ears. There's stories about these guys that gain such familiarity with what's true that they can spot what's false immediately. Uh, I think it's Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours thing talked about a guy, I think in that book, it's this I couldn't trace down this illustration, but this guy who had such familiarity with these terracotta statues of soldiers from ancient uh, Chinese dynasties, that he could walk into a room and immediately know if it was true or false, if that was a real or a fake, because people would make fake ones and sell them to museums and get some cheese out of them. And there were so many of these things that it was hard to know. And so he would walk into these rooms, though, and he would say, hope you kept a receipt. That's a fake. They'd say, but sir, how do you know this is a fake? And he'd say, it's going to take me a second to give you like evidence, but I'm telling you, that's a fake. And without fail, he'd be right. Because he so intimately knew, in his brain, but down even further, he so intimately knew what a real one looked like. Similar story about Ray Charles. You know Ray Charles? Probably, right? Pepsi commercials or uh, Jamie Foxx doing him, whatever your kind of your 
Okay. He was a blind guy who played piano. That's really what you need to know. And he was so amazing that piano makers, manufacturers, would bring him keyboards and have him play electric keyboards to see if they could mimic enough the sound of a real piano. Because he's blind, they thought, okay, we can try to at least give him a blind taste test on these keyboards. And he could always tell if it was a real piano or a keyboard, not by the touch or by whether they told him what it was or not. But they found that his ear was so intimately attuned to the sound of a real piano that he could actually hear the hammer strike the, the whatever the thing, the piano wire was. Not the note, we all hear the note, but he could actually hear the hammer strike, which doesn't happen with an electric piano. So he could always tell. He was so intimately familiar with the actual note of a piano. So must we be with the gospel to take it that seriously. And Paul finishes his his statement to these guys by saying, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must all help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's here that I want to do a Paul Troas sermon where everybody falls out. Because I just keep going. Because what's here is so real and deep and full and applies to every facet of what we do. But hear what he's saying. He's saying, I'm now aware that I'm going to die and that you're going to have significant challenges. And yet, I can walk away in faith and some level of contentment. You are going to connect the dot between the real reality of momentum fading and the promise of Christ that he will build his church with this sentence. I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which he is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Knowing that God would be the one to do it, he was able to say what he said earlier, that he doesn't consider his life even worth considering. That like Christ, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That though we die, we can be raised. Let's go back to Eutychus. Remember, this kid is listening to the sermon, falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies. It's like the church. Listening to the truth, we can fall asleep, we can fall, and the church can die with a bang, with a whimper, with a bang like a wolf breaking it apart in this phenomenal, crazy, wild split. Or with a whimper, where one person at a time just stops attending until eventually it's three old ladies I don't know, go visit, that's what happens. (laughs) And yet, Paul could continue to give his life to that ministry, trusting that God who raises the dead can raise this. That's what it says in the story. And uh, if you go back up to verse 10, it says, But Paul went down and, and bent over Eutychus, and taking him up in his arms said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. 
And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them all a little while until daybreak, and so he departed. Then he took the youth away alive, and they were not a little comforted. Yeah. Again, you can afford to kill people in your sermons if you can just, no, get, get up. <laughs> Sorry. You know. A resurrection took place, and a resurrection which is so perfectly the hallmark of Christianity. Because what has Christianity preached from the beginning? It has always preached from below up. Jesus becoming nothing, taking upon himself our, not only pain and, and lowliness and creatureliness, but taking upon himself even our sin. That's the message of Christianity when he goes to the cross, is that Jesus takes on himself our sin. And then the punishment for that sin as he even goes down to death. But, not able to stay dead, he comes alive again. The resurrection takes place. That God would not allow him to stay dead, but to be alive forever. That God would not allow his church to ever just dissipate but always there will be life his word doesn't return void he will always be building his church so the people that are in his church whether they think that the odds look great or not so great for whatever it is that they're a part of can trust that with God all things are possible even using a church of our size and a church of our impact to go out into a city of that size with enemies of that size and make an incredible impact. That your life can be used to raise from the dead every person that you meet as you speak this thrilling, complex, unexpected, and drenched in the love of God message of the gospel. This revolution takes place. This resurrection takes place. Even while everything around us may seem to slowly be dissipating. God knows exactly what he's doing and he can use us exactly where we are to have this kind of impact. He will build his church. And as wild as it seems, he will take even people like you, even people like me, and use us to go and have people inter interact with the gospel and see it for real, see how it's transformed us and how we used to be really proud, but now we're humble. And even as we're humble, we have an insistence on what's true. And we have a love and a service that goes well beyond any kind of just scratching of our own moral needs. I mean, people will serve out of the community, but a lot of times they're serving out of what? Well, the Bible talks about the Pharisees serving out of pride. Oftentimes people will serve out of their own guilt. I know that I'm motivated that way sometimes. But Christianity equipping us to go and to serve the world, not out of our guilt, not out of our pride but simply out of our love and the love that he's given to us. See, we must continue 
Because the things we're a part of right now on the small scale and the local scale will not continue. We say at Hope Church that our mission is to make disciples and plant churches. And it has to be. We can never be content with this moment. We always have to be fighting and, let's be real, bleeding. The Bible says this is a war. And when you are in war, you are either at battle or resting for the next battle. We would be called to actually go and to bleed to see this message go forward. To be, see it be seen clearly by our community. Are you ready for that? It's what the gospel equips you for. It's what community groups are here for. It's what membership is here for. It's what desperate Bible study is all about. What about trivia? It's about knowing the gospel so well that it transforms you and can be transformative through you to somebody else. It's about knowing the gospel so well that you're able to spot a wolf. It's what baptism's all about. Baptism is this picture of death and resurrection. Because that's what Christianity is all about. Is that what we know? If so, that's what we become the church of Acts. That's what we become Paul, going out, willing to take on his chains and share the gospel with the people who are trying him before they eventually kill him. It's the same gospel that a guy named Paul earlier kills Stephen for. If you remember that message five to eight weeks ago, however long it was. It's that message that Christ even dies for and then rises again. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I just ask right now that you would take that message and write it on our hearts so, so thoroughly, so fully, with such a vibrancy that we wouldn't be a people who just can be still. Let the message of the book of Acts that you will build your church, that we will be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, that you do have those who will come and will believe and even if the persecution comes, and even if those, those works seem to be stomped out, that your, your word will not return void. Lord, we just ask that you would make us have faith that those things are true, and give us, Lord, the next steps that we take in making those things a reality in our life and the life of Hope Church. Pray those things in your son's holy name. Amen.